Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wonderful to be here with you, and I've been texting, actually, the last couple of weeks, back and forth a lot with Skip, of course, and uh, Lenya, and just so thankful for the Lord's goodness and uh, continued blessing there, but it's wonderful also to be here. So we've been texting. He's actually preaching a few miles from my house, so I'm preaching a few miles from his house, I guess, in the, uh, uh, here, but it's wonderful to be here with you. I forgot he had this big, high pulpit. I'm not used to... I come to some, you know, I'm around a lot of churches when I, I usually, if there's a guy like Skip, I, do you have a regular size pulpit instead of one of these things where you're kind of almost peeking over the head of the thing? Actually, I was once 6'5". And, uh, in fact, I was once a lot like Skip. I was very good looking. I was articulate, personable, sharp, you know, very great speaker. Excellent looking, but then I realized and tall like this. Then one time I thought and I realized, you know, Lord, maybe could it be that people come just because of me? They're just taken in to me. And I wouldn't want that. So I said, Lord, please don't ever let that happen again. Just change anything. And the next morning I woke up and voila. <laughs> that was solved overnight. It's quite wonderful. No, it's great to be here with you. And uh, tonight I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, uh, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And then also we'll end up in Genesis 22. So you can actually, but we'll start in, in Hebrews 11. But uh, to turn there. And we want to look tonight actually at Abraham. And Abraham's faith. We're told in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, by faith, or pardon me, 11.1, uh, 1, it says, by faith, uh, but faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And here we're told, first of all, I mean, faith by identity, it's, it's a substance that gets into somebody's heart, that they believe is there and real for a world that they, the world, the word hope for isn't so much like you and I think, I hope that I hope that I hope I'm, I'm getting a bicycle for Christmas or something, uh, but Hope in the Bible, it actually means you've, you've essentially, you've seen the, bio, the, the bike. You know what's there. Christmas hasn't come yet. But now when you say, I hope I'm getting it, it's because in your heart you've already seen it. You've already, you, you've, you're, you're, you've already seen the purchase for it. You've already seen the receipt for the purchase. In a sense, in our, our redemption, it's already been bought and paid for. We've seen it. We have the receipt in our hand. And now we have the assurance, I know he's going to deliver it. And faith is something because it knows of this world and it sees this world. It has, a, it has a substance about it that grips a person's heart and life, hopefully, and begins to take over of great substance. And it's evidenced in the way that they, they live, the way they carry themselves out. But as we get into it, first let's pray, and then we'll get in the Word. Father, we want to thank you for your love and your goodness. And Lord, as we look tonight at Abraham, our father, our spiritual father, Lord, we pray that as you spoke and trained and taught and led him, Lord, that as we study him, we'd realize that you also want to teach us the same lessons. You're no respecter of persons. So help us and teach us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here as we look at, at faith and what God wants to see within our lives tonight, it's something there that as we begin to practice it out, 
and carry it out. It begins, first of all, as I said, there's this substance, there's this faith about it. We're told down in verse 6 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that they that come to God must believe that he is, and he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God looks there and he tells us, not faith isn't an option, it isn't something you kind of do if you want to. But rather than that, he tells us, no, without faith, you can't please him. You can't live a life that will be pleasing. You must believe that he is and he's the rewarder of those that would diligently seek him. Matter of fact, Romans 14, 23 says, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. That any time I'm not living in a dimension of faith, of trusting God, of waiting upon him, of having him be working in my life, leading it, guiding it. Every one of us, regardless of where you are in your own personal spiritual journey, faith is never something you merely have done in the past. Faith is to be something that you've done in the past, you're doing, and you're going to continue to. And it's in, it's in different dimensions that it's happening all the time throughout our life. And so when we look at somebody like Abraham tonight, he's not somebody that he's just merely a historical figure. He's not merely the father of the Judeo-Christian faith and world, essentially. He's much more than that. He's our mentor. He's our teacher. He's our example. And we are all, therefore, in a sense, we're all on the same spiritual journey that he is. What Abraham had to learn, so we have to learn. Abraham's may have been geographical because it's a wonderful way to study it. But and ours may not be geographical. It may all happen right here in town. But at the same time, it's always spiritual. That's what is really going on. It may or may not be geographical, but it's always spiritual. And what Abraham went through, we go through. What Abraham had to learn, we have to learn. And here as we look at Abraham, there's a few things that were told here in Hebrews 11 about him that I believe are constant in all of our lives when we're living by faith. The very first thing about it, we're given in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham he obeyed when he was called to go out unto a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. The very first thing we're told here essentially about Abraham and his faith, and what it's all about, is that faith when it's being practiced. When we're looking there and realizing, God, I want to live by faith. I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. I don't want to sin. But sin isn't merely, as I said, just something that you, you're not doing. You may have, you know, you don't go out and do a whole list of sins like you do, used to do. But at the same time, you can also be sinning by not doing anything. <laughs> at the same time, because you're, you were to be there now that we maybe have stopped doing things, that we may start truly doing what God wants us to be doing in our life. And the very first thing we're told about Abraham is he went out not knowing whether he went. One of the very first things here about Abraham, and when he went out, we're told he didn't know where he was going. The Lord just came to him and he spoke to him and he told him, he says, I have a land I want to show you. I want to take you and I'm going to make you a blessing among the nations. I'm going to give you children. And here a man, when you stop to look at him, it's quite a remarkable thing for Abraham in a sense to venture out like this and to do what he did. And and, and here as he took off, we, we find at this time in his life when God began the journey with him. He was 75 years old. His wife was 65 years old. We don't know how wealthy he was, but we do know that he was one of the wealthiest men probably in the world. Some historians believe that he was a contemporary of Job. But he was somebody there that he was remarkably wealthy. We're told in a couple chapters uh, there in Genesis, uh, when he went out to battle to rescue his nephew Lot, that he took with him 318 of his trained servants. 
Now, how many servants he had totally, we don't know, but he had 318 that were capable to go out to go to war. And so if, let's say, he only had those 300 plus their wives and children, the smallest number of of people that traveled with Abraham was somewhere between 12 and 1,500. Some believe well over 2,000. And let me tell you, if you're taking care, you're feeding 2,000 mouths, and you've got 300 plus servants, you've got to be pretty wealthy. I don't know if there's anybody here with 300 servants. I'd like... I'd like one, basically. I'd, just, you know, I'd consider myself tremendously wealthy if I just had one servant. But here Abraham, this tremendously wealthy man who no doubt had everything the world could offer him. I'm sure that any gadget and anything and anything you could have in the world at the time, he had it many times over. I'm sure Sarah, she had settled in. She had all of her friends, probably had her personal shopper or a whole set of seamstresses. And she had the cooks and she has the house set up. And she had the whole world where somebody would dream of being at 65. Where Abraham could dream of being at 75. There they were. How wonderful life was for them, I suppose, in the most wonderful of ways. However, it's obvious there was something missing. With all that he had, there wasn't happiness. There wasn't fulfillment. Somehow or another in this process of life and time, God got under his skin. The thought of who God was got into his heart. A longing began to happen there that it was as if he could look at all that he had and say, Is this it? There's no more than this. This is the best there is to offer. There's got to be more. And somehow or another he found himself on a spiritual journey where something happened that this man was willing to get up and walk away from absolutely everything. Somebody there was going literally to go out not knowing whether he went. This is how I believe it happens and it starts. As I said, it's not an issue of whether it's geographical, but when each one of us, one of the, the attitudes and the attributes of faith is that there's somebody that they look and say, I, God, I don't care where it is. I spend my whole life having to determine where I'm going, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, who I'm doing it with. I've always got to be in control of my life in every possible way I can, and it's led nowhere. But when somebody can look and they come to that place where they realize, God, you are, and you're the rewarder of those who would diligently seek you. There is a reward out there. There's a reward far beyond any amount of servants I could ever have. Perhaps Abraham, when he had five or ten servants, oh, it'll be so wonderful when I get 20. Then I'll be happy. Or then when I get 50. Or when I get 100 or 200. Or when I get a, you know, a, a, you know, a flock of a hundred or two or five hundred, or I've got, you know, cattle and I've got sheep and I've got donkeys and I've got, and then what number, how many, how many acres you need, Abraham, how many servants you need. And no matter what it was, no matter what he acquired, it never, it never met it. There's this great longing that is still there. And one of the things I believe that's a fundamental attribute that takes Abraham away from just being another, another one of the billions of countless obituaries of people that have come and gone on this planet is that something happened in abraham's heart in his life where he realized god you are there i don't know how you work but i believe you're there and you're real and you're powerful and i want you and i want whatever it is so much so he was willing to walk away he was willing to read to do whatever it is that god would realize for his life he wanted it And you know, that's a dimension I think that God wants in every one of our lives, all the way through our lives. It's not just something you did. You know, sometimes I've listened to people say, oh, when we were young, remember, Thelma, when we took that big step of faith and we went out and did whatever it is we kind of did. Yeah, that was scary. Glad we're not doing that anymore. No. 
We ought to be somebody all the way through our life. That there's still that sense of adventure. There's still that thing, God, I'm still here. My heart's beating. My blood is flowing. If I, if, if, if I was supposed to be in heaven, I'd be there. And you've got a reason I'm still here. And it's a greater reason than just simply turning pages on a calendar. God, show me what it is. What do you have for me, for me, for my life? What do you have for our home? What do you have for our marriage? What do you have for our family? I believe that that's one of the things that lacks so often. We, we'll practice faith sometimes when we're in a jam and there's no other thing to do. Okay, God, you got to get us through, but we'll sure be relieved when we don't have to trust you anymore. No, real faith is something there that is an adventure we ought to get into in entire life. Saying, God, I want to follow you. Because there may be, no matter where you are, there may be some of you, you're quite young, how I'd encourage you. To look for ways, God, I want to I, I want to step out. I want you to take my life. I want you to use it. Like one of the things, they have a table somewhere around here. I have no idea where, but they've got some of these messages and CDs that they said, you know, they put out of mind for me and wanted to let you make them available. But also on that table, there's some things out there uh, for people that are looking and want to get involved with missionary work. We've got some wonderful things going on in El Salvador, down in Africa. Places there that somebody would say, I'd love to be trained as an intern. I'd love to step out. I'd love God to take my life and to do something with it. I'd love to be trained cross-culturally. I'd love to be able to go into a world I'd never been in. I'd love to be able to help families, help children. What a, you know, what a, a thing that we ought to be doing so much in our life. To God, take my life and use it. You may be older and you're right now, God's got you and you've got a home and you've got a job and you've got the mortgage and you've got the children. And God's your faith is right here. It's just, Lord, the economy is tough. Times are hard. Lord, we've got to continue just stepping out in faith, not knowing where we're going. That's how it is. Or you may be getting older and your health is beginning to fail. You're watching there as the age is taking its toll. The, you know, the, 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 there's the slowing of the eyes, the slowing of the hearing, slowing of the thought processes. Now the dimension of faith of saying, God, you're there and you're real. And teach yourself to me, reveal yourself to me in a most wonderful, wonderful way. But Abraham, he was somebody willing to do that. And I'd ask each one of you, is that where you're at in your heart of your life? God, I want that dimension of faith. Whatever it means, whatever you want for my life. I don't want to get comfortable. I don't want to be somebody that one day I'll spend eternity in heaven and look back and just realize it was comfortable. But rather than that, I've got one life to live. My mother-in-law used to always tell me, you know, soon, you know, one life will have come and passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And when we find ourselves there saying, God, take my life. Maybe tonight he'd stir up some of you. But Abraham, though, not only did he go out in faith, we're told as well about him in verse 14. It says, for they that say such things, they declare plainly that they seek a country. And if they had been mindful of the country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to return. And here Abraham, he was somebody, not only did Abraham essentially go out in faith, but also to be able to stay out. And that's where sometimes the struggles in life happen. When we, when we go, but to be able to stay, when conflicts arrive, when difficulties come, and they always will. Here Abraham, he gets out, and, and if you'll remember, he did how exciting it had to be. And he gathers together all of his servants, all their families. Whatever days and weeks it maybe took, you know, just to plan and to prepare and to get this huge caravan of people all up and ready to go. And there is finally they they begin to go out and they're heading out. 
And then they come into the land. But if you'll remember the land and the condition that God, God allowed when they came into the land. How many of you remember the condition that he came into? Anybody? Nobody. I, you know, Skip, I always thought he was one of the best teachers I've ever heard. <laughs> Use the Koran here? What are you using, folks? But at any rate, here Abraham, when he comes into the land, I'm just kidding. I think I'm kidding. I hope I'm kidding. But any, when Abraham gets into the land, there's a famine in the land. That's a fine how do you do. Here he is in the perfect will of God. And there's a famine in the land. And you can just imagine here, he's got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of mouths to feed. Probably just like your kids, whenever you travel, you know how your kids, what are they always saying? Are you going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Every day at the end of the day, Abraham, are we there yet? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, or whatever, and just, you know, <laughs> I'm waiting, praying. And, you know, and they're all excited, but don't worry, it's going to be wonderful when we get there in God's will and God's plan and God's timing. It's going to be so exciting. And they're so excited. One day they're going out and they're in a dust bowl. And then a dry and, and probably that day nobody said, are we there yet? But he gets there and all of a sudden he stops, prays, and he turns to him and he says, we're there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and he said, well, hey, how are we going to eat? And here Abraham, and he, he, all of a sudden the wheels have to turn. He looks there and, God, you're not taking care of things. You're not supplying the needs. What are we going to do here? And then Abraham, obviously a brilliant mind. Obviously a clever man. Obviously an intelligent man. Obviously a great businessman. Not only did he become very wealthy, but he was able to stay very wealthy. And you can't do that without being a pretty sharp guy. But there, no doubt, he, he looks around and decides, well, hey. I've got to go down to Egypt. They've got everything we need down in Egypt. There's no fam famine in Egypt. I've got all sorts of silver and gold and all sorts of stuff there that I can trade with, negotiate with. We'll get pack up. We're going down to Egypt. We're going to get ourselves through this famine. And so Abraham, they're just thinking, okay, I don't see God solving things. We go down to Egypt. They go down to Egypt. And on his way, just as he's about to arrive in Egypt, he starts thinking a little more. You women understand this. You know and how, honey, let's go. Where are we going? Honey, don't worry. I've got it all in control. Good. Tell me about it. Honey, it's, it's too detailed for you. You can't follow it. It's, it's heavy. Just trust me. Okay. And then, and then he starts thinking on the way down. He looks over and there's Sarah, a very beautiful woman. My honey, you look pretty today. Well, thank you. You haven't said that in a long time. Well, actually, it's a problem. Why? Well, these pharaohs, you get down there and he says, obviously, I mean, he realized you don't just sneak into, you know, into Egypt, you know, with about 1,500 people or with an entourage like that. And to do the business negotiations he's going to do, we're going to hit the radar screen. We're going to meet Pharaoh. And these pharaohs, the way they are, they see a woman, they like to take her. And he actually tells her, he says, so look, we got to, just in case the way they are down there, these heathen guys, so we're going to go down there and I'm sure it won't happen. I'm sure there won't be a problem, honey. But just in case he does see you and he does want you and he does desire you, because what would happen if you're married to kill me? So look, let's just say that you're my sister, that it may be well for thee and I might live. <laughs> she probably looked at him like, beg your pardon. But honey, don't worry about it. But I'm a sharp guy. I always even plan for the worst case scenario. It'll work out. Sure. You know, have you ever noticed... 
how God, I think, has this wonderful sense of humor in heaven. He sits, I think he sits there and watches. And then when we set up for a worst-case scenario, he probably looks and say, you know, I like that. Let's give that a try. <laughs> he has that way. I mean, some of you wives, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? But here, so they get down there, and sure enough, Pharaoh does see her, does take him like her, is beautiful. Hey, Abraham, that's a very pretty woman. You go, oh, my sister. <laughs> Who thinks our sister's cute, you know, or whatever? Well, I do. But I'll tell you, this is great. Everything you need to get you through this famine, I've got. And I can always use another pretty woman around the house. So what do you say? (laughs) This is great. I'll take the woman. You get everything you need. And you'll get through the famine. And everything will be great. And Abraham does the deal. Can you imagine it? He does the deal. He goes through with it. And you can just imagine, you know, the two of them looking at each other when this happened. I mean, I can just see Pharaoh. Hey, bro, you come down, visit the chilling any time when all the little kids running around. We'll come see you. And they do it. And here Abraham, you know, he walks out and leaves her with him. And then God ends up, it wasn't Abraham's faith here as much as apparently Sarah's, but God intervenes, tells him, don't touch her. Plagues him. It's that woman's wife, that man's wife. No, it's his sister. Well, he's got a lion problem. It's a lie. It's his wife. Give it back. And here, if you could just imagine, you know, I mean, here, literally, here is is this type of tension. You know, the those things can happen in married life. It's amazing some of the things God even allows. By the way, how many of you are married here? Well, a lot of you. Also, how many of you have children? Most of you. I mean, you have, you, one of the things that I've come to realize, I mean, how remember how exciting it was, by the way, when, when you were getting married? Remember when you asked her to marry you, and she said yes, and you couldn't believe it? You couldn't believe it. You told her, guess what? She said yes, I can't believe it. She said yes. Oh, we better make this quick before she wakes up. You know, or whatever, you're so excited. You were so thrilled. That she said yes. How you went out in faith. You went out. How are we going to handle it? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of everything. I love you. I can't believe you're going to be my wife. And here she does it and marries you. And then you get married. And then some trials come. You went out in faith. You went out so excited. But then you get into it. And you begin to realize that this woman that you married, she's got some terrible habits. She's got serious problems. I mean, stuff like she she actually expects you to feed her three times a day. She eats all the time. She wants her teeth fixed. She wears clothes. She likes a lot of clothes. And makeup. And stuff for her hair. And stuff for all over. I mean, and, they, and you got to... And, and you're like, wait a minute. And all of a sudden, you, some you went out in. It was so exciting. But then to stay. To stay in the marriage. When they're the pressure, when he, this wonderful young buccaneer that you married, that was going to go off and take on the whole world. There that went out, God spoke to him, and we're going into a whole new land, and we're going to have blessings like you can't believe. And the next thing you know, you wake up and you're in Egypt, and you're looking at each other. I don't like you anymore. And the pressure is there. I'll tell you what it takes is one thing, and in our homes and our marriages today isn't, isn't somebody that has faith that'll step out in faith. It's, it's somebody that'll stay in faith. 
How many marriages are there that you really come to grips with the realization that God gives you to each other to be helpmates? And sometimes that's incredibly difficult. Understanding and caring for somebody that's entirely different than you. You don't have to be married too long. You realize they're different. They're really different. They're unbelievably different. God designed it so differently. The way he made a man and a woman. You know, what are they? All these books written. Men from Mars and women from Venus. or I don't know. But I mean, all these different worlds and God puts us together. And then he turns to the man and he says, well, I want you to dwell with your wife with understanding. And I sit there and read that and I say, has that ever been done? You know, <laughs> has anybody ever done that? You know, and he said, no, but I just stuck it in there to give you a try. You know, I don't know what is there. But the pressure that there is in a life to realize this is what you're in for. And you were helpmates. One time my wife, who grew up in this wonderful Christian home, very committed to Christ, had a wonderful walk with the Lord. Private Christian schools all the way through her life. Felt very young. God called her to the mission field. She went forward. She pledged her life at a service for it. And as time went on, we met, fell in love, got married. And at the time, I was going through school and business and wavering on what there was a call in my life for. And then she starts thinking, maybe I've done a mistake here. Then she she realizes, Lord, I went forward to commit my life to the mission field. What am I doing here? And as she prayed and cried out to the Lord, the Lord clearly spoke to her. Said, he is your mission field. (laughs) You married it. (laughs) But that's true. And here, but what it takes is somebody's committed to that, realize it's not just going out, it's staying out in faith. All of you that raised your hand, we have children. Remember how excited it was. We're going to have a baby. We made our very own baby. Is this something? You had to tell everybody you you fixed up rooms, painted furniture for this whole new journey. You're going to have child. You had parties. The women got together and had baby showers. And all this stuff, this is so exciting. We're going to have a baby. And you had a baby and you stuffed bubblegum cigars in people's mouths and here. I had a baby. And they're so excited. Now they're a teenager. And that baby hates you. That baby looks at you and says, You're an idiot. You're stupid. I don't need parents. All I want is your money, your car, and your house, and you can go. (laughs) And you went out in faith once. So wonderfully. And now, now the Lord, you're in a famine. You know, and here, but this is what it is. What, what, it, what God, He looks at people today, and the tragic thing is, is we're not at a loss so much for Christians, but it, it, it'll go out. But when it comes to Christians staying out, staying committed, staying there, realizing the what it is to take a life, to take a marriage, to take a home, this unbelievable reward that God promises, but the cost of it. Cost Abraham tremendously to learn and grow to be able to do this. And we're not exempt from those lessons either. And to re- and to come to that place in our heart, in our life, where we go out. And then we stay out. Maybe some of you, you're actually pondering, I don't know if I can stay in this marriage. I don't know if I can handle these children. I don't know if I can handle this man. I don't know if I can handle this woman. And I think God looks and says, I never designed you to be able to without me. Do you know what it is to cry out to me, to wait upon me, 
Get up early to open the word, to cry out in prayer and say, God, fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. I don't have what it takes. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the understanding. And here that's ultimately the crisis. You know what it is. They go out and they stay out. But for somebody that will do that, the wonderful thing. You look at Abraham who became ultimately, he stumbled around. He had his trials. Their marriage had their trials. In fact, I doubt if there's many marriages around here that have had them like they did. Here, when you look there at the struggles on how at times they took their life into their own hands, decided they could have a child their own way, set themselves back for periods of time, but somehow or another they were always able to go and build an altar, put a sacrifice on it, and get back where they belong. And the wonderful thing is, you you know something, one of the things I love in the New Testament, in the New Testament, it says Abraham staggered not at the promises of God. Now you read the New Testament, it says he staggered not, and then you read the stuff in the Old Testament, you think, just a minute here, I got a problem. But how wonderful the New Testament is. You see, God tells us that when we confess our sin, He's faithful to forgive us. Cleanses from all unrights, all our failures. You build an altar, you ask God's forgiveness in his cleansing. He takes our sin, he removes it as far as the east is from the west. He buries in the depths of the, he hides it behind his back. He says, I'll remember it no more. And so in the New Testament, when he would write about Abraham, all he can record. He says, wonderful man, he staggered not. That's what God wants to write of every one of us. Through all of our struggles, all of our staggerings. But when we come to the blood and we come to the altar and we come to the crisis of, Lord, I'm staying. He has a way of blotting it all out. Saying, good. Now let's do the business we've got ahead of us now. And lastly, not only though did Abraham go out in faith and not only did he stay out in faith. But Abraham had to come to that place where one of the most remarkable things there is, I suppose, in all the Bible. One that's overshadowed only by the day that the Father in heaven offered up his only begotten son. But we're told in Hebrews eleven seventeen, it says there by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Here we have something now to, I, I, you, this is one of the most difficult things to me in the world to comprehend. Some 50 years before this verse, of God asking Abraham for his son, some 50 years earlier, he'd taken him out. God had showed him there the land. He says, Abraham, look in the north, south, east, and west. All this have I given unto thee, thy children, thy seed after thee. And he told Abraham, as he'd take him out of the night, look at the stars of the sky, look at the sands of the sea, so shall thy descendants be innumerable. Here a man without a child. And he says, but this is what you'll have. Abraham, whoever blesses you, I'll bless them. Whoever curses you, I'll curse them. I'll watch over and protect you if you'll trust me. The Bible says Abraham believed God and it was counted in him for righteousness. Abraham went out and here as he goes through this journey. And it turns into years and it turns into decades. And now finally after 50 years of this whole journey, he's got one child. All the promises, all the you know, north, south, east, west, all the children, all the blessings that are now wrapped up neatly in one package. And the package's name is Isaac. That's it. And after 50 years, the Lord comes to Abraham, as told to us here in Genesis 22. But it says there now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. 
And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Abraham, take now thine son, thine only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall tell thee of. And Abraham did it. Can you comprehend that? I, I never can, really. Here, after 50 years of walking together, it's as if Abraham, God comes to Abraham and said, Abraham, I've got something I want to ask you. Sure, Lord, anything. Anything for you. Good. Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me, a burnt offering in a place that I'll show thee whereof. And here it's as if God, I mean, not as if, here literally God is coming to him. He said, Abraham, you know all these promises I've made? Yes. <laughs> Look what we've got, Abraham. We're moving. Yes, I know. But Abraham, I'd like to ask you something. It's a hard question. I wouldn't have asked you 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years ago, not 50. But I think I want to ask it now. Well, what's that, Lord? I want to know... If over the years, I've become as precious to you as you are to me. And what I'm getting at, Abraham, is I want to know, are you willing to give all the gifts I've ever given you back to me because of me? And Abraham looked at the Lord and he said, yes, I am. Can you imagine this? As if to say, Abraham, I, all the, I just got to as, as through the process, has the giver ever become more precious than the gift? Am I more precious than anything I've ever promised you? That's the ultimate, I suppose, of faith. It isn't something you ask somebody at a year in Christ, or two, or five, or ten, or maybe twenty, or thirty. I don't know when, but it's, it's, a, it's a test of the highest degree, I suppose, of the purest and the most richest of faith when somebody has now actually come to the place where when they started off, when somebody's immature, they're in it for the goods. They're in it for the promises. You know, I've got, uh, you don't know, but I have uh, eight grandchildren. And they're wonderful little kids. And they actually love their grandpa. They think I'm a great guy. And actually, not only have I have great-grandchildren, I'm also a great-grandfather. And I'm a great-grandfather because I have eight grandchildren, and I'm a great guy. So that makes me a great-grandfather. But at any rate, here my kids, my grandchildren think I'm a great-grandfather. But I also, I get them tickets to Disneyland. We live near Disneyland. And the grandkids, they're up in, you know, San Jose, and it's hard to get some of them down. But when you buy them season tickets, the next year, you know, you don't have to motivate the kids. The grandkids will motivate the kids. Grandkids come, Dad, Mom, we got tickets down there. We got to go. We got to go. Papa loves us. And Papa wants to see us. And Papa misses us. And we don't want Papa to feel that bad. We got to go see Papa and Disneyland. You know, and, and here, my kids, I mean, I'll get on the phone when I'm Daniel. It's so funny because he's a young kid and he talks by. I say, I love you, Daniel. Oh, I love you, Papa. No, I love you. I love you. And we'll scream till the neighbors can hear us all. I love you more. And then I love you. I love you too, Papa. And we're going to come and see you. And Disneyland, yes. And they come down, and we and literally they'll get there late at night because it's quite a drive. But the next thing you know, here they are down there, and they get there. They oh, Disneyland. Did, well, we can't go tonight. It's closed. Okay, five o'clock the next morning. My face being tarred, but I wrote, "What's going on?" And there's Daniel. Hi, Papa. Let's go to Disneyland. No, no, we're going to go, but Disneyland's not open. Well, we'll go and wait. 
No, 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 no. I know theologically this isn't sound doctrine, but we, but I look at him and say, no, Daniel, look outside. It's dark. Even God isn't up yet. We have to wait till when God turns on the lights. We'll talk about it. Now go talk to Mimi. <coughs> she wants to talk to you. And so here, a little while later, we got all packed up and we get there and we're the first ones in. And we go from ride to ride. And by here, you want this? Yes. I love you. I love you too, Papa. Thank you. And we get candy and we get food. And you want this? Well, yes. Oh, I love you, Papa. I know I love you too. And then after about six, seven hours, when your legs are given out and even the kids cross-eyed. But he still looks, there's another ride, we gotta go. And he's struggling to get, you finally say, hey, look, we got passes, we're coming back. Tomorrow, I'm coming back tomorrow. No, I don't wanna go, Pop. Yes. We gotta go. No, yes, no, yes. We're going to go home. And he sits down, crosses his arms, says, Papa, I hate you. (laughs) But I know, I am fully aware. I'm, I'm buying the kid. And that's the way it is. That's the way it is. It's something there you realize, I got Disneyland, I got rides, I got food. And I think God knew fully well when he came to Abraham, a 75-year-old man. He had no children. And he looks at him and says, Abraham, you want kids? I got kids. You got kids? (laughs) And worlds of them. You follow me, I'll give them to you. And by the way, oh, you look north, south, east, west. I got land. More land than even you ever dreamed of having. As rich as you are, I got... Boy, it's a... You do. I got Disneyland. (laughs) And I got annual eternal passes. You want to go? Yeah. And not only that, hey, whoever blesses you, I'll bless them. Whoever curses you, I'll curse them. By the way, anybody ever ever gets in your way, I'll I'll kill them. What do you think, Abraham? I like that. (laughs) You're on. He knew he bought the kid. Because that's how it is. But then he comes to the day where he looks there and he says, Abraham, I got a question. I love buying you stuff. I love giving you my stuff. You're my son. It's the way it ought to be. I just want to know, during the journey, have you fallen in love with me like I do you? Can you trust me with everything? And incredibly, Abraham not only did it, but Abraham, I suppose, was given perhaps the greatest honor in the Bible. Abraham was given the honor and the title of friend of God. Abraham, God looks and he says, Abraham, you're my friend. That word means fellow. You're my fellow. We are together. We understand each other. You're not just simply a child. You're not just somebody growing. But Abraham, you know, we'll come, you know, in, in, in our lives, we to the place, hopefully, where not only we're going out, maybe some of you right now, God wouldn't even dream of saying, can I have anything from you? He's right at the stage. You need, you need, I'll give, I'll give. Because I'm going to buy you. I don't mind it. I'm God. But ultimately, faith, it goes out and it stays out. But when it has its highest, richest, deepest form, it's able to look back and say, God, all this. Wonderful. But I somehow or another, I actually like the hand that's given it to me more than anything that's ever come from the hand. I love you. You can have whatever you want. One last thought. In fact, they're in the, ta- the CDs I brought out. There's some of Abraham. I'm not trying to sell the CDs, but they in the full one because we're out of time here. But Abraham came until we're told in verse 19 of Hebrews that Abraham knew that God was even able to raise 
Isaac from the dead. Now, this is before the word resurrection was known. The concept of resurrection. No, there'd never been a resurrection. And yet Abraham believed God so much, he says, God, you want him, I'll give him to you. All the way he lifted the knife, had him bound, was there on ready to be offered. And God said, no, don't do it. Stop it. But then it goes on to tell us that though Abraham, he was ready to do it because he believed God so much. You want him, you can have him. But God, I also know the promises of God are yea and amen. And you cannot lie. And therefore, you're creating a problem for yourself that you'll solve because you're God. And you know, maybe some of us, I don't know where you are in your journey tonight. But if hopefully every one of us were looking there and saying, God, help me to go out in faith. Stay out in faith. And Lord, I want to ultimately come to the place. I don't know if I could even understand what happened between you and Abraham fully. But I want you to know I want to be on that journey in such a way as when the day would come. That if you would ever say, I want, I want it all. I want to have my, my faith to have grown in my understanding of you. To such a degree that I can look and say, you can have everything. Because I've got you. I'll never, never lose you. And that's worth the whole journey in itself. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, how we thank you for your love, for your goodness. Lord, for your desire to take our lives and help them. Watch over us. And Lord, I thank you that you look at us like any grandpa. And you look at your kids and say, I love you. And I'm willing, I'll give and give and I'll buy you. I'll pay anything. I'll get you through all this stuff. But one day I hope you grow up. Hope you mature. I hope you come to the place that you can look and realize how rich my love is. And you can turn back and say, Jesus, I love you more than anything. Lord, may you tonight rich in our faith, deep in our faith. May each one of us just be moved by your word and whatever it is. Maybe some of us right now, we're being tested in our marriage. We're tested with our children. The world's wanting to say, go. If you're mindful of the country, you can quit. You can go back. You don't need this life. But Lord, maybe some of us realize, you know something? These things are exactly what I need. These trials are exactly what I need. And Lord, I'm here. And I'm staying. Lord, maybe some of us even need to look at each other and say, I'm staying. Maybe some of us need to look at our children, our families. I'm staying. It's tough. We're being stretched to the limit. But we're going to trust him. And he's going to bring us through. Lord, may you take your word and strengthen each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.